Costs to originate keep rising, even with more technology in the industry. The problem is the core platform. A new LOS can re-architect the process around data, not humans moving paper files. Vesta has built this LOS, and you can learn more at Vesta.com. Welcome, everyone. My guest today is lead analyst Logan Motoshami to talk about inventory, mortgage rates, and the Fed. Welcome back to the podcast, Logan. It is wonderful to be here, Sarah. And we are so excited because we're about to do the NER tour uh, on top of the wonderful event uh, that's going to happen in Austin, Texas in October. But we are so excited to meet all of our fans in all the different cities. And as always, more questions is a good thing. Not asking any questions is a bad thing. It is. Well, let me start out with a question. Let's talk first about inventory and mortgage rates and how those two things go together. So let's start with inventory. Now that we are in September, traditionally speaking, this is the time where we would see the start of this seasonal decline. But of course, everything is all messed up after COVID. And I didn't get what I wanted this year, of course. Um, I want more supply, more active listings growth, and it didn't happen. Um, and right now, purchase application data is... is we're having more negative prints than positive prints, but it's the direction is very slow. Uh, so it's not creating the kind of the speed and the velocity. But what I'm hoping for for the rest of the year is to push the active listings growth as much as possible uh, before the seasonality really kicks in. And this is the one benefit of higher rates. In a sense, it can facilitate more active listings growth. And since mortgage rates got above 7%, we're seeing a, 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 a slowdown in, in, in demand. Nothing like terrible like it was last year, but hopefully this can give us more active listings growth to set up for what I think will be the most interesting spring 2024 in, in inventory story. And then we also got the new listings data and you know, uh, two weeks ago, I was uh, mindful of the big uh, drawdown in, in the new listings that it came with higher rates. And I was thinking, God, we don't want to have, have this happen again. And it kind of shot right back. And I'm just going to, like I said, I never put so much weight onto one report. It needs to be a trend. And it's close enough to Labor Day that I'm just going to say that was a Labor Day uh, uh, issue. And we're just slowly moving down, which is good, right? Because as someone who doesn't believe in the mortgage rate lockdown, uh, new listings data, considering how big the uh, housing inflation story is, has actually been a little bit better than I thought it would be uh, in this environment. And working off of the baseline theory that I have that it's really rare to go under 4 million existing home sales in this country after 1996, hopefully the slowdown in new listings data and the bottoming out process, people could see that as a positive uh, uh, there's still enough demand in there to get uh, total home sales near 5 million. So there are some positive things that are happening with inventory. I just need it to continue uh, because I obviously didn't get what I wanted, but we should look at that as a positive going into 2024. And once we get to uh, 2024, there's going to be a, a really sophisticated take on inventory, which the start of the years in 2020, 2021, 2022, and 20 have, have been so much different than what we've had in the past. And we need to break that. And I'm hoping that 2024 is a year that we break that really delay in active listings 
uh, uh, that traditionally happens usually in January or February. Well, okay. So you said, you know, um, we need to look forward to 2024, but people in our industry have to make it to 2024 and key to that is mortgage rates. So you wrote um, a story that the tracker this week was, have we reached, have mortgage rates reached the peak for 2023? So what's happened since then? And what is the answer there? So we had a very interesting Friday in the sense that the 10-year yield spiked Mortgage rate pricing didn't. Uh, the spreads were really good on Fridays. Uh, today, as I'm talking to you, this is Tuesday. Okay, so mortgage rates uh, uh, went up a little bit more aggressively uh, today. The question is, is seven and a half going to be the peak? Now, I would I would tell people this. Uh, Fred Governor Waller, one of our more prominently um, favorite. Fed governors, who's usually very hawkish, he made a statement that I think is very important going after the rest of, rest of the year in 2024. He believes bond yields are properly priced. This is where they should be. Um, a year ago, they would be like, "We need higher rates. We need we need the economy to slow down." He wasn't very pro rate hike anymore either. So the Fed is kind of toward the end, because not only just where Fed funds rate is, but where real yields are, they believe they are being very restrictive right now. This is a good discussion because if if for some reason bond yields take off again, this actually defeats some of the Fed's purpose. So we have to start parsing out their languages out here. And right now, as I'm talking to you, the 10-year yield is like 4.26. So that is basically the peak uh, forecast is four and a quarter for this year. But mortgage rates are still higher where they should be because uh, the uh, spreads have gotten worse, but the spreads have gotten a little bit better lately. So going out in the future, if the economy slows down more, there's a lot of variables that are in going to be in place over the next 12 months that are different than last year. Uh, we have the student loan debt payments. That's less disposable income. Oil prices are rising again. The dollar is getting stronger again. That's not what we want. Okay, so the U.S. dollar getting stronger, similar to what we had last year, uh, is is a problem for the world. It's so funny, Sarah. Remember, everybody said the dollar is going to collapse and everything is worlds. We're doing it again. The dollar is getting too strong. So just I want to remind everybody for the dollar collapse people, because if I had a penny for every dollar collapse, I would have six thousand four hundred thirty-two dollars. In thirty percent. So, in this case, um, we don't want to see the dollar get too strong. World never likes that. But we're really kind of at that top end range. And if it does, if the ten year yield does go higher, we have some uh, uh, corporate bond issuance this week. Uh, we're starting to see the levels to where the Fed would actually maybe talk the market down for the first time. Now, this is not a pivot or anything in that sense, but they there's enough. Fed talk right now to think, okay, they are pleased with where the 10-year yield or any or, or bond yields are at. As long as the growth rate of inflation slows down, they don't have to be more aggressive. And that sets up for an interesting 2024 because some of the things that are helping the economy this year are not going to be here next year. Uh, the deficit spending for manufacturing, the student loan debt payments are going to start to be paid. There's less disposable income, higher energy prices, less disposable income. So these things actually matter, and it's, it'll set up a very good framework uh, going out just from now to all of all of next year. That the aggressive posture of the Federal Reserve 
you know, starting from March of 2022 all the way up here is starting to change by multiple Fed people, starting to highlight what they believe to be the case. So uh, uh, it makes the 10-year yield and economic data and tracking everything a, a little bit more uh a little bit more important than what we had in the past because we were just basically stuck in a range in the 10-year yield. Now we have something to work on in the future that could be at least more beneficial uh, um, on the rate side coming from the Federal Reserve. And then again, it all depends on the economy right now. So that's the key. So I understand, you know, there's all these variables. You can't be like, yes, it's going to be this, but if you were to condense down what you just said, do you really understand, Sarah? Is that is that it? What do you, what do you no, tell I me? Just, you understand? I want a straight answer. Our rate ah, going see, to go lower. I would tell you this: we are at the high end of my range, so it's more you you have more room to go to the downside than to the upside here, uh, and that's that's really the case. That you know, when 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 Waller of all people said bond yields are really where they should be, when uh, the New York Fed president said. Well, we think we'll cut rates next year if, you know, the growth rate of inflation falls to stay in our policy. So the kind of we've gone past the peak, you know, aggressive Fed. Uh, so it's really the economic data at this point. Now, I know a lot of people, you know, inflation was the main thing that they were running on. Just remember the growth rate of inflation is still high. The global bond yields are higher right now. This isn't like the previous expansion. Uh, so we are de- we're dealing with different variables. The economic data would really have to get weaker. Now, when we look at the jobs report, job openings are still higher, almost 2 million higher than where we were in the previous expansion. Jobless claims are still under 300,000. So the labor market is just getting softer. But it's really, you know, if we didn't have this super uh, charged labor market, and we continue the longest economic and job expansion in, in history, we'd be like, oh my God, the labor data looks great, right? Because quits ratios are basically back to pre-pandemic levels, which was the longest job expansion in history. Job openings are about 1.8 million than kind of the peak that we had. Uh, so the growth rate of jobs are just going to naturally slow down uh, by themselves. This is something that we've talked about here at Housing Wire for some time. Once we get near that 157 to 159 million, the job doesn't matter what the economists do; it's going to naturally slow down by itself. Population growth has gives you limits to what you can do in this country. So there, there's a better backdrop for rates to uh, over the next 12 months fall than to keep on going higher. The counter to my own premise is that the U.S. economy accelerates. It's always been the, the the U.S. economy outperforms. There's your counter to uh, uh, any lower rates. And even though with the growth rate of inflation, the U.S. economy has been outperforming compared to what uh, a lot of people a- anticipated. So I know that, um, and thank you, by the way, for being very specific there uh, since I asked you. I know that you don't like to talk about uh, the commercial sector, right? Um, we focus on residential. We focus on other things. But there is a lot of talk that the commercial sector is going to be one of the variables that's going to affect whether the economy takes off or, or stumbles. What, what are your thoughts there? So interesting enough, Governor Waller said today the commercial banking uh, uh, or the commercial sector has not posed a threat to the economy yet. That was his assessment. This is his area, too, uh, of expertise. I would say this, and this is the same premise that I've had from the start. 
the commercial banking institute has already impacted the residential real estate. Because if you go back to Silicon Valley Bank, if you go back to uh, that's the spreads got worse. They got noticeably worse. Uh, so the banking sector, regional banks, those that are tied to commercial lending, have already you know been punished. Some of them are not around anymore, and that in a sense has made the spreads worse. So I would I would argue that we've already been impacted by the uh, commercial banking uh, because the banking sector itself. Now you could say Silicon Valley has what it got you know killed for different reasons, but we've already been hit. And everyone's mindful. This is just a slow moving thing. Like, I don't know if you guys remember Austin Powers, where the guy was on the ice rink and Austin Powers was coming to, you know, run over him and he was just screaming, yelling, and the thing was going once, you know, one mile. (laughs) And he was just sitting and we're sitting there for 10 minutes watching him scream. This is basically the commercial banking uh, sector right now in in terms of commercial loans. We all know it's coming. It's taking forever. They're going to write off a lot of loans. They're going to get rid of stuff. They're going to extend on these things. But because that's already kind of been priced in, lending has gotten tighter for regional banks. Um, if we didn't have a lot of deficit spending right now for manufacturing, we would really see it uh, impact a little bit more. So uh, it, it's there. Uh, I would say it's it's it, we've seen this stealth uh, impact to housing already uh, because I, I, I tell people, go back to February 9th. The spreads were getting better, and then all of a sudden, the whole banking system was, you know, uh, needed emergency rescues, and there it is. The spreads got worse. So that, to me, is still the number one housing variable that changed this year, and it impacted mortgage rates. And of course, we saw what happened when mortgage rates were moving to five point nine nine percent. November, December, January. We had three months of positive purchase application data. Sales had one of the biggest month-to-month sales prints ever. And then February came and we've just been stuck, Sarah. It is it is the one thing that you and I have talked about. My biggest fear is always America housing getting stuck, you know, and then America saying swipe left on the Fed. We don't like your policy. We're staying home, you know, so... Uh, uh it, commercial it's gonna it's gonna impact but i i would argue that we've already seen some of the impacts already down the line these companies are going to take huge losses there's going to be programs done to mitigate the damage as much as possible but as of now it, people don't see it yet you know compared to let's say the banking crisis uh, uh of 2008 and I, I encourage everyone to always remember the mortgage banking association has a credit availability index and 2005 and 2000 thing, that thing peaked out around 900, and it just collapsed. And then you know the spigot was uh, a hit. And I, I, I do these little dissertations on on inventory channels and credit channels, and I always try to encourage people on you know when they, when they see me do these chart threads that if you look at inventory back in 2000 and 2005, it was rising with rising sales, right? How is that possible, right? Uh, because the credit availability index exploded. So the marketplace was uh, um, um, very heavily tilted on credit. The commercial lending side is, is you know, just holding it, holding it, you know, the Band-Aid is just holding it up until the eventually losses are taken. You're probably going to get, you know, seven to 15 cents to the dollar on some of these uh, um, um, units, these commercial units, and those banks will, you know, are they're getting hit right now. 
uh, because of it. And that's why lending has tightened up in the jumbo market as well. So we, we, we don't talk about it a lot because we don't, we don't see it. But I, again, argue that the commercial bank has already hit the mid-tier uh, regional lenders and they've hit the jumbo market and that market is stressed. It's not like Freddie and Fannie. Freddie and Fannie do not go into that area. Uh, and there's your credit getting tighter in that regard to the commercial banking sector. You mentioned uh, rates headed toward 5.99. That seems like a pipe dream right now. We would we would kill for something in the low sixes, right? We would be like, that's amazing. It, it and- is. It is interesting. It is interesting with perspective. I mean, 6% mortgage rates in 2022, people are like, oh God, here comes a crash. Here comes a rush. 2026% mortgage rate. Come on, you know, 6% mortgage rates. The Fed comes on TV. No, no, we don't want 6% mortgage rates. You can't buy homes. Stop having sex and kids and buying homes. No, you're making our jobs harder. So just in reference to the CNBC interview where I said, Fed, relax. Come on. America needs to live. Don't worry about it. We're not, this is not zero interest rate policy. You're not buying mortgage-backed securities. If rates get down with a sixth handle, just and just let it go. All right. Sometimes not talking is, is very effective. Interesting. You know, I think back to um, over the Christmas holidays last year, you wrote something that was like, what, who spiked the Fed's eggnog? And we have been, you've been following what the Fed has been saying and doing for the last couple of years and really saying, you know, land the plane. You can, there's a way to do this. Where are we on, on that level? Where do, where do you think the Fed should go next? You know, it's, it's interesting. When we were talking back in, you know, around Thanksgiving and, and Christmas and, Back then, the Fed said, well, we want you know the Fed funds rate to be around where core PCE is. And I was like, okay, that sounds like they want to do a soft landing. And then they, they changed everything. And you know, we had, we had talked about this before. I said, maybe they should just tell the marketplace, we want the Fed funds rate to be one to one and a half percent above core. And then everybody would understand, but they didn't. And then now they're talking about it. So I think there was, that was a miscommunication on their part. So right now, Nothing is broken on the labor market yet, but the fear here is that you have variables that are coming into play now that the Fed really can't control too much, right? Oil prices are rising again. Um, The student loan payments are about to hit the system, right? The Federal Reserve can't do anything about that. So they have to be a little bit more careful on monitoring the data now. Uh, The government spending for manufacturing is going to wean itself out. So we're starting to see some slowdown in the construction area uh, on, on employment. So there are variables in place right now that the Fed should just be more mindful of and less hawkish. So you could try to land the plane. Now everybody talks about soft landing, no landing. Who cares? If you want to make a, if you want to talk about soft landing, give people numbers, right? So to me, if the unemployment rate goes above four point seven five percent, that was not a soft landing. That's kind of four and a half to four point seven five percent. That was their level. If they if it goes above that, soft landing was not achieved. So uh, of course the unemployment rate went up uh, uh, because the labor force. We had a lot of people come into the labor market. We had a lot of people come into the labor market August of this year. We did the same thing last year. So there's all, there's a seasonality factor in this. We had big pushes, big increases in unemployment rate. That's if you want the unemployment rate to raise, it's that. You want that reason. Um, but going out in the future, let's everyone be a little bit mindful 
that the Fed has already hiked in the most aggressive fashion in history. That usually leads into a recession. When Federal Reserve and baby boomers talk about 1970s, that means they want a recession. And they talked about attacking the labor market. The labor market is slowing down. That's why they were celebrating, right? Job openings are coming down. But we still have everything intact. And again, my concern going out of the future is, let's assume jobless claims finally break, and they're not fast to react. They say, okay, we're doing a quarter hike and we got to wait another six weeks. And then we got to wait another six to eight weeks. And then it's just, there's where, you know, when we talk about, you know, supply by stress, right? When jobless claims break, do we get forced equity sellers? Yes, we will. We're not going to, we're not, the foreclosure timeline is just way too long right now. So in that process, the question is when rates do come down, the bond market will get ahead of the Fed. Is it enough to offset the supply that are coming on? And, and again, in, in, in some cases, we're finally alleviating the problem. The bad part is we're alleviating the problem in the worst way possible, people losing their homes. Okay, this is why I, I will never cheer for jobless claims to ever rise. I'm never going to be a cheerleader for a, a recession. Uh, these are people's homes. They're a, a pack of hyenas on social media that is wishing and hoping for a job loss recession for some devotion to some gold god that does not exist. Okay, those people are crazy. But here we have to work with real-time variables. Right now, jobless claims are low. History says at some point that changes. We will work with the data at that point. But it becomes a very good tug of war, Sarah. I think this is going to be the next big battle in housing. You know, the massive 156 million people working Lower rates, is that enough to offset? Can demand stabilize? Because we talk about that 4 million level being very key. Um, We're not there yet, but we're a little bit more mindful now. Now that all the rate hikes have been in place, now that we see some other things putting in uh, and we go with it, just realize that the construct, the mass workforce of America, remember, we have more people working now than ever going into any kind of recession ever in history, right? So somebody told me, asked me a question, they're like, well, what if we have like a black swan event and 20 or 30 million people get unemployed and 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 what happens? COVID, anyone? <laughs> right, right. I was just thinking. <laughs> you know, yeah. I mean, we had 20, 30 million people unemployed. We had 5 million forbearance. So uh, assume that the United States government will respond, right? Don't assume that the Fed won't do anything. Now, there's a there's a camp that might have a viable theory that the Fed won't be as aggressive uh, this time when the next recession hits. But uh, I think that's, that's the more sophisticated battle that'll come eventually, right? Let's throw all the crazy theories out the door, the Airbnb, all that stuff. Let's follow new listings data, active listings data, the 10-year yield, purchase applications. What do we call that, Sarah Wheeler? That's the tracker that comes out on Sunday, right? And let's use that because that worked, right? I mean, I I encourage everyone, if anybody wants to understand what happened with housing, Sarah Wheeler and myself did a podcast, Why Home Prices Aren't Crashing with Higher Rates. It goes into all the variable components that people, real people do when they track housing data weekly. Because if you don't track housing data weekly, you are going to be old. And slow. (laughs) 
I was too old and slow to, to, to say that for you. Yes. So this reminds me why home prices aren't crashing with higher rates. And last week you did a um, debate with someone on the very topic of is housing crashing? And we were specifically talking about home prices. And um, that is, should now be available if people want to go and see that on demand, the video of that. I, we had hundreds of people sign up. I think there were almost 600 people who signed up. Tons of people came to it. Um, lots of great uh, interaction with their questions. And I think that it was it was great because you do have people out there and we see them every day who are like, home prices are about to crash. And I felt like you did a great job walking us through. Here are the things to look for. If this was going to happen, this is what we would see. And the fact is, we do not see that happening. The main point of that whole debate is that I wanted to give people metrics to work off of from because, you know, Logan might be 24-7 on social media, but he's not 24-7 to you specifically. So this way, uh, a lot of people who've known me know I talk about that 4 million level in existing home sales. So that 4 million level is very key. The difference between, let's say, 2008 to now is that we had 4 million active listings going into the job loss recession. We have 1.1 million right now. This is the NAR data. Uh, those are two extreme divergence. So uh, for home prices to crash in, in a meaningful way, the three different variables have to have. Number one, the supply has to increase with no rise in demand, or the supply has to increase with demand falling. Okay, so those two, those two things, they have to change. Or you have something where active inventory stays low, but the monthly supply starts to increase because the days on market take a long time, right? And then the foreclosure process is going to take nine to 18 months. And that eventually filters in through. So there's all these things that have to happen. And I've always, I've always, I've always asked this one question over and over again. Uh, and everybody should be asking housing price crash people this. Is it mathematically possible to have a housing price crash if demand is stable? and inventory is low. If demand is crashing, even though inventory was low last year, we saw home prices decline noticeably month to month. But that marketplace changed on November 9th because the forward-looking data started to change, right? And I, I just think a lot of inexperience came because a lot of people didn't know about the 4 million number. Uh, if you never tracked housing in your life, you wouldn't have no idea what I'm talking about. But that that kind of held its ground. So we can work, everybody can understand this and learn this and you don't have to listen to crazy people. Let's say, okay, we're going to track the purchase apps. We're going to track existing home sales. We're going to track the forward-looking inventory data. That's what we have here at Housing Data. By the time the NAR and everyone gets it, it's too old. We're fresh. We get it. So uh, new listings, active listings, demand, forward-looking. And one-third of all homes in America have price cuts, Sarah. Uh, price cuts right now are trending to where they were in uh, 2018 and 19 uh, when we had higher rates and affordability issues. But they're 4% below last year's level. And again, last year's level, we have to all comps versus 2022 need a grain of salt because last year was crazy. It was historic. We started the year with the lowest inventory ever recorded history. We had 18% home price gains. Then we had the biggest mortgage rate increase in history. We had the biggest crash ever recorded history. Inventory grew, right? But nothing like you know big, but prices did fall month to month. That's not a normal year. 
Let's not use that as a normal year because right now it's just a fist fight, right? It's we're stuck in mud. Our opponents, the housing markets are stuck in mud and they're fighting. It's not, there's not a lot of velocity right now, but that can change. And a recession does change the variables, not just for people losing their jobs, but traditionally speaking, rates do fall. So it's going to be that historic battle between 156 million people working lower rates versus the people that lose their jobs. And we will take it one day at a time, one week at a time, and we'll give you the information for it. And I appreciate that. I think I think that should be our new slogan. We're fresh. That's it. I can see the t-shirt. Fresh, merch. yes, like the fresh. We're fresh. Fresh Prince of <laughs> Bel Air, by the way. Oh my and gosh. I just want to I just want to end this note because we're doing this again on social media. Blackstone is being brought up again. I know. I see it okay. popping up. I see it. Okay. So I am telling you, everyone, say no to drugs. Okay. <laughs> Dare, right? Dare, say no to drugs. Do not use cocaine. Blackstone owns zero. Point zero. Three, not three percent. I, I even gave the data to people. And people are like, oh, three percent, Logan. That's a lot. I was like, yeah, read people. I said zero point zero three percent. Blackstone does not own the majority of homes in America. They never did. Do not let the extreme left and right manipulate you. Do not let Russian trolls manipulate you. They're taking advantage of you because they believe you don't read. And they are right. You don't read. Because if you read, you would realize that was never a thing. So don't let them abuse you that way. And don't do drugs. And reading is a good thing. And don't burn books. And this is all positive, right? Okay, We're all but- going to enhance our knowledge of it. And listen, go with it. Listen, Logan, they don't have to read if they listen to us. If they listen to podcasting, maybe they don't maybe that's why they listen to podcasting. So they're they're listening to a podcaster who does read, reads the numbers. So thank you so much for being on. Um, I'll have you on again in a few days. And thanks as always, Logan. Pleasure is all mine, Sarah Wheeler. Thanks for listening to Housing Wire Daily. If you haven't already, we'd love for you to take a minute to rate the show and leave a comment. And make sure to tune in tomorrow for more news and insight.